This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 487. And the quote of the day is, at any given time when you're walking down the street, a very small percentage of your brain is focused on the present. The rest is planning the future or regretting the past. And that's keeping you from being grateful for where you are. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, inspiration, education, education, and motivation for drumming, for drumming and, beyond, and, beyond, and, beyond, and beyond. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Episode 487 of the Drummer's Resource Podcast is here. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you have been digging this for a while, you listen to the podcast frequently, do me a favor, leave a rating and review. And if you're just here, uh, I'd love to hear from you. So if you know this is your first or second episode or you're, you're just getting hip to Drummer's Resource, would love to hear from you. Shoot me an email or I'm on all the social channels. I'm really easy to find. But I always love connecting with I love connecting with everyone, especially people who are new to the podcast to sort of get to know them better. So hit me up for sure. And all of these episodes are free, all 487 of them. You can find all up only the most recent 300 on iTunes. I'm not quite sure why they cap it at 300. But if you go to Spotify or Stitcher or go to drummersresource.com, you can find all 487 of those episodes. And there's a there's some there and down in the vaults like J.R. Robinson and Ndugu Chancellor and Peter Erskine. I mean, there's so many episodes that are there that that you should check out. Dave Elitch, Eric Hernandez. I mean, there's there's lots of them. So check it out. And speaking of older episodes, uh, my guest today, Bruce Becker, first appeared on the podcast on April 10th of 2014. And for those of you who don't know who Bruce is, he is a master educator. He is a master performer. I mean, he's played all over the world with a slew of different artists. And his edu- his teaching practice has seen the likes of Daniel Glass. Uh, David Garibaldi has studied with him. Uh, Glenn Sobel has studied with them. There is a long list of people who have studied with Bruce. Bruce himself studied with, with uh, Freddie Gruber for a long time. So... He is a he is a master player and a master educator and and I I wanted to have him back on because I wanted to talk about whether you're looking to find a teacher whether you're looking to become a teacher whether you're looking to take what you're learning and have it get into your playing uh, Bruce has the answers to all of those questions so it's a great conversation if you want to find out more sort of about his backstory just check out episode 28 and uh, that you know we cover his whole backstory and studying with Freddie and all that sort of stuff so this is a new engaging conversation about teaching, playing, becoming a teacher, finding a teacher, all that stuff. And he just has some, some very, very succinct, very clear wisdom. So I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to let you start hearing from my man, Bruce Becker. Bruce, my man, how are you? Doing good, Nick. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. It's been a. I was just thinking. I, I don't know the exact date, but it has been a long time since you were on the podcast. Uh, I think about five years. I think we did one in 2014, if I'm not mistaken. I think that that's the date that I recall. I I believe you're right. I was going to say four and a half or five years. Yeah, <laughs> something sure. like that. Yeah, yeah. Man, time but, is just. It blows my mind that I've been doing this podcast for five years. <laughs> That's amazing, huh? I can't yeah, believe, I mean, I'm like, I don't. I can't believe that that one guy is still listening. You know. Well, you know, he loves you, man. <laughs> Listen, I'll give you a couple dollars later on to for being your paid listener. Uh, 
No, you know, for me, time goes quickly. As an older guy, you realize that. And I have two small children, so I try to embrace the moment as often as possible, knowing how fast time moves by. Yep. I was, uh, I'm, like I mentioned, I'm here. I'm at, uh, at my parents' house. My parents are in their seventies. And, and, you know, I was talking to my dad and he said from 50 to 60 goes really quick. He said from 60 to 70, you know, is even faster. And now he's like, every day I wake up, he's like, it's Thursday again. Yeah. You know, and the week, and the week is almost over. He's like, That's it's it. just, and it just goes faster and faster and faster, which is, is something being in the moment, I think is something that is getting harder and harder, giving, all the all the issues that well, not issues, but all the uh, distractions that we have with social media. Oh, you know, yeah. We have our yes. phones in our hand, and you know, there you can never escape anymore. You know, there's no excuse of why you didn't answer your phone or why you didn't answer your text or why you didn't answer your email. But years ago, you know, sorry, I was flying. You know, yeah. you couldn't you couldn't oh, check yeah. your phone. Sorry, oh, I was yeah. I was at the mall and you left me a message on my on my answering machine in my house. Right. So what I was deep enough to have a pager. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Right. Uh, so what do you, what are some, maybe some tips and tricks that, that you do to keep yourself present? Cause I think it's important not only in life, but it's also important in music too, to be, oh, yeah. to be present and not, you know, when you're in the practice room, not picking up your phone and, and getting on Instagram when you should no. be practicing or whatever else. No, you know, fortunately that, you know, the social media thing and all these distractions have come a little bit later in life. That doesn't mean that I wasn't distracted as a kid. I was a, a well-educated, uh, young man of cartoons of my mm -hmm. era, you know, <laughs> knew every cartoon or every sitcom. Uh, but my, my main thrust to keep myself even keeled, because like I said, I have two small children. I have a boy who just turned three and my daughter just turned six. So I'm a late in the day dad. And uh, I've been a, uh, a dedicated practicer of yoga for about, oh, I don't know, let's say 13, 14 years now. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and a meditator for more than that. And so that's what kind of keeps me even keeled and focused, helps me to stay like when I engage in a project to not get distracted. That doesn't mean I'm always hitting the mark because, as you well know, there's things to tend to. There's I have a, a huge teaching practice, so there's many guys to get to and I'm looking at texts or I'm looking at emails. Mm -hmm. I'm currently involved with a Drumeo project that was originally released back in 2018. We are now in the second release of that. And so there are emails to answer and all that kind of stuff. But again, my kind of pulling out the plug for a moment is to do yoga, meditate, and then that keeps me even keeled for teaching. Skype teaching specifically, as I first started, was very challenging because of the fact that you had to be really engaged. I felt like I had to bring every ounce of myself through the screen. Now, after doing it for about going on my sixth year, it's totally dialed in. The only thing I can't do in, in, in you know, is elbow you in the side. I, I've got all the other tricks and all my games intact from what I do here live in my studio. Mm -hmm. But but the but the focus factor again is truly ignited by a regular practice of yoga, meditation, not yogurt and medication. <laughs> That's good because I am uh, I, I can't have dairy, so no yogurt for me. Okay. Uh, but I do, but I do, I don't do yoga either, but I do meditate. So, uh, and that's, it, that's been really good for me. You know, an interesting thing about meditation for me that I noticed was that my gym, my workouts at the gym, the better I got at meditating, the easier my workouts got at the gym because I was sort of able to separate myself from the physical, like the, the physical workout, which I thought was really interesting. And I would be halfway through my workout and say, oh man, I, 
I kind of like didn't even realize I was working out because I I could be thinking about some other things or I could be, you know, making some decisions in, in my head. Do you find that happening too with other things? Oh yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, especially like uh, the streamline of teaching because the constant uh, yammering or so to speak, or narrating as I call it of what I do uh, becomes easier, less taxing. Uh, I find that it's easier to find the right description and the flow of words come out a lot easier than they did in the past. I mean, I mm-hmm. attribute it to a few things, but that's one. I'm pretty sure that I could pinpoint it to the actual meditation process. Right. As far as yoga, too, yoga, as you know, already has a mindfulness of, uh, component to it, of mm-hmm. breathing, et cetera, and, and being quite aware of your posture and what you're doing. Um, but, you know, sometimes it's it's labored. It depends, man. You know, it still goes up and down, but. It's never like just a static thing. That's what life mm-hmm. is. It's up and down. But I feel like, you know, uh, the the uh, the higher level of flow is new or, or newer or better. How's that? Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. a better sense of flow when I get involved in certain things. Like practicing on a practice pad, you know, I could just sit and get into all sorts of different kinds of flow exercises that I put together and just be very mindful and focused of what I'm doing. And if I do get rattled for a moment, I can reel myself back in. You know, you just mm-hmm. go, whoa, 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 come back here, please, you know, and just right. reel yourself back in. That was one thing I wanted to ask you about. Do you have any any sort of techniques or any ways to check yourself, whether whether it be in your playing and practicing or whether it's in everyday life where you may be with your kids or you may be with your, you know, with your family and you say, wait a minute, I'm not like I'm not here or let me I'm thinking about some other thing or something. Let me let me check yeah, myself here yeah, and, and reel just, myself back in. It just boils down to just those constant reminders. You know, you gotta it's like you have to have your mental post-its in your head to remind you of that. Uh especially being a father and late in the day, uh I'm glad I did it late in the day. I'm glad that I've experienced it because you know, when I was if you would have talked to me like 15, 20 years ago, I'd go, kids, you gotta be kidding me. It ain't gonna mm. happen. Right. Um and so there's a, you know, there's a process of patience that I've already attained from teaching for many years and doing lots of gigs with lots of different characters and stuff like that. And so, you know, you reel yourself in because your kids are the magic button pusher, pushers of your emotions. You know, they're your kids. Mm-hmm. They really right. get inside you. So, you know, it draws me up and down. But I got a thing like more recently where I've been a little more even keeled. I also have, you know, I have a son who's diagnosed with ASD. And so that requires a whole different set of patients. Because if he has what people would call a meltdown or whatever, there's, you know, because of his condition, he's not going to be reasonable. You know, that's what that's part of that spectrum, you know, but he's Mm -hmm. high functioning kid. But, you know, but, uh, 19 or 20 hours a week of therapy and stuff like that. Like I said before, there's no rest for the weary here at the Becker home. There's always right. action going on. <laughs> but it does it does bring you to a place of being more mindful of that and try to stay even keeled with your responses with your children. Mm-hmm. Most importantly, because, you know, like I said, they, they can be the most provocateurs of button pushing. Because, yeah. like, like I said, they're your kids. And my daughter is certainly one to try to test the waters, you know. Right, so. right. But, and sometimes but yes. whether they whether they know they're doing it or not, right? Like maybe sometimes it's purposeful, but sometimes you know, it may not you know, be. Well, you know what, man? I've discovered that, at least from my experience, that my kids full know, they, they well know when they are in that mode. I can see it. I can see my daughter <laughs> kind of just testing those waters and seeing what response she's going to get from Papa. You know, it's like, oh, <laughs> man. So, you know, 
I, I, I realize that if you have a more matter of fact tact to what you do in your response, it goes over better. Mm-hmm. If you get emotional or get, you know, too, um, you know, bubbly about it, it seems to kind of invoke more emotional response from their end. So I try to keep it matter of fact. If there are things to do, I just kind of keep it like even keeled and Ellie, we got to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, That's with right. my son, you have to prepare him. So I don't know if anybody's out there who has any children or anybody who has autism, but it's a it's an interesting spectrum. Sure. And yeah, my so, nephew has it, and we're, we're, yeah. we deal with it frequently. Yeah. Well, we were very lucky to have sort of caught it early mm-hmm. uh, in that we had my son diagnosed, and before he was two, we knew what we were up to, what we had to do, mm-hmm. and we got involved. I think just, you know, just after his second birthday, maybe a month after, we started with uh, applied behavior analysis, which is one of the main therapies for, for children with autism. And when you get them earlier, you are much probably on a better slant to get them to be more functioning, whatever that is. Now, you know, like I said, I don't have any uh, illusions of grandeur, but I will be there beside my kid all the way through as long as I can stay on the stage, you know. Mm-hmm. But but again, those those patients' values those are treaded, that, that those are um, tested continually through my life. And meditation is the equalizer, and yoga that that has to be in my life. And also eating well. You know, if mm-hmm. I eat crap, it doesn't help me. At sixty now, I just turned sixty about a month ago. So right. at, at this age, there's a whole set of mindfulness. So going back to how do you do that? I have little post its post in my head that remind me. Bruce, chill out, come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, or when it's with the phone, like putting the phone, like where you get into this rabbit hole, just chasing around. Wait a minute. I just looked at my email 10 minutes ago. So I, no magic emails came through and it's nothing that right. you can't address in 35 minutes or, mm-hmm. or one hour, you know? Yep. So. And we get these sort of default settings and these mindless things that we're doing. We don't even realize we're doing them when we're standing in line. We pick up the phone. My wife goes to the bathroom and I'm at the restaurant. I pick up my phone and it's like, why? Right. Why am I, yeah. I doing this? Why do, why can't I just be in the moment and just be present yeah. and just, you know, God forbid I have to look around for two minutes. Oh, yeah. I know. Exactly. Sit there without a, a device in your hand and just absorb the uh, onslaught of people that you may be, you know, uh, surrounded by or whatever. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Uh, so we had talked a little bit about a little bit off air. And one of the things that is, that is always not only inspired me, but but has always um, blown me away a bit is your ability to be on both sides of being an educator and being a master educator, and then also being a player who has you know who was gigged, who's played all around the world with multiple different artists and bands and things like that. And not to say that, not to say that it's either one or the other, but a lot of times people typically lend or typically lean one way or the other. And I feel like you are like right smack in the middle, but you've mastered both of them, which I think, and the third sort of element of this is you've gone out and taken lessons from people. So you understand, you know, how to, how to teach, you understand how to take lessons. And then you also understand the, the actually applying this in a real musical setting. And I wanted to unpack some of this today because I think it's important one for people who are looking for a teacher, how they determine, you know, who is a good teacher, who's not a good teacher. How do they, how do they measure whether or not this person is actually showing them the right stuff? Because if you don't know, you don't know. And the other side is if someone who's listening, who wants to start a teaching practice, what are, what are good ways, 
what are sort of tried and true methods of teaching that are going to help your students get the best results? And then I guess third would be sort of how do you, you know, how do you apply all of this? So I know this, this is a loaded question. So let's like, I, why don't we just start with the, sure. with the first is finding a teacher because I think it finding is a massively yeah. important that yeah, because, you study right. with someone. You're right. You're right. And it's, it's, it's such a, um, uh, um, you know, a field of stuff out there that you can tap into via YouTube primarily mm-hmm. of stuff that may not really put you on the right footing. I mean, there are some, you know, cool licks and cool ideas and stuff like that. I think a lot of that is uh, overblown. And for a young kid to see that, they may get pulled into a track of just being more of a, a showboaty player, not thinking about time, groove, and interacting with musicians. There's a lot of people that have made their career uh, just doing YouTube covers and stuff like that. And I don't want to diminish that. But with all that information and with all that, you know, stepping back, how do you find a teacher? Well, there are resources, I think, uh, through like the Sabian Education Network, which which is one, I guess, that promotes teachers. There's Drumeo, which has educational formats and stuff like that. There are local music stores and stuff like that that offer that kind of thing. And I think as a young guy, what you have to find is somebody that can help create the enthusiasm in your passion or your person to push you forward. And find those things that engage you. So if you find somebody that's not engaging you or you feel that there's some rub there, don't be, you know, don't feel like you're offending that person. I mean, you may be, but you got to walk and find your path of what you need to do in collecting data for your profession or for your, let's say, I don't want to say profession all the time because I have a lot of guys who are, you know, the drum hobbyists and they're Mm -hmm. passionate about drumming. They just make their living another way, which there's which I find no problem with. I think that that's great. I mean, so many people in the past, I would be, you know, like if you didn't, as at least in my uh, specific uh, experience, if you're in LA and you were doing another job and not being a musician, like back in the eighties, you know, it's like, Oh, well, you got another gig, man. You're not a full-time musician. What's wrong mm-hmm. with you? I mean, maybe I put it on myself in regards right. to that, but right. this, this day and age, there's, there's a, a myriad of multitasking that must be done to create a career in what you want to do. Mm-hmm. So, but, or the guy who's looking for a teacher, look deep, do research. I mean, you know, if, if you were looking for like, I'll just, you know, I have to pick me because I'm in the first person here. I can expe- speak from my experience. There's a lot of data on me around, you know, there's, there's interviews and there's videos and stuff like that. You can see, and there's, you know, a website that tells you who the list of guys that I've taught and stuff like that. You can see, am I the guy for you or not? Maybe I am, maybe I'm not. I don't, right. I don't aspire to be for every single person. I have a, mm-hmm. a vast amount of information that I can impart and put it into a way that's very tangible. But yes, it is a tangled web out there, no pun intended, to fine tune uh, finding a teacher. I think, again, you have to find a good fit and knowing that that's going to be maybe one of the steps that you take in your studied aspect of drumming. Now, mm-hmm. going to the, you know, the teaching side, you know, going and saying, like, how do you teach? From my perspective, when I've dealt with younger people, I'm not going to bring an onslaught of technical goods to their table right away because it's going to put them off from the instrument. They're not going to really get it. And I could go, but you know you have to eat your vegetables, so you need this stuff. That's not really about that. It's creating a relationship of trust 
where they respect your opinions and know that you have information. It's you knowing who you are to carry on with that information. You know, to, in other words, have the, the trust in yourself to deliver the message. Mm-hmm. But in a young person as a student who would be you know, younger for me, I would create enthusiasm for the instrument. The other thing that I think is very important for somebody who wants to take on the responsibility of being a teacher is to know material. Know the, the different educators that have put out educational material, such as Gary Chafee or Gary Chester or, uh, let's see, what else, Ted Reed book or the Stick Control book. Know who Jimmy Chapin was. Know who uh, Freddie Gruber was or Joe Morello or, going back even further, Henry Adler or even who just passed recently, Roy Burns. Mm-hmm. You know, these guys were all educators of a, a caliber that – you want to know who they are. You want to know if there's any information on them or what books they brought forward and kind of fine tune what that is. Or another guy just thought of Alan Dawson. There's mm-hmm. another great educator. Or Ed Self. I could go on and on. You know that. Right. And so in terms of being an educator, you have to school yourself. You have to really know material and have a concept. Um, I'm not of the ilk going when somebody comes to me and go like, hey, man, what do you want to work on today? I have a very, very deep dense program of various levels of different things I can get you into. I have a building block system that would offer a more fluid, effective approach technically that would make those more conceptual based, uh, uh, what do you want to say, you know, endeavors to be easier accessed because, you know, if you just throw down and look at future sounds from David Garibaldi, you know, your head might blow up. It takes a lot of patience (laughs) and a lot of, you know, character to sit through that going back to what we were talking before like having the focus Mm -hmm. so again i really believe you know that there's like a responsibility as an educator it's not something that i did willy-nilly and so going back to the the playing slash teaching side of of this sort of conglomerate of question it's it was sort of already in my blood to teach i was teaching as a young guy i mean Mm -hmm. i always put the marker of 1982 is my teaching start because because I started at the music stop, which actually ironically was where Freddie Gruber started his teaching. Hmm. And so that's where I had a very young Glenn Sobel and I had some other guys and actually I found some guy on the internet that I think was my student. I have to ask a bass player that I used to work with and find out if that's the case. But nonetheless, I was teaching even before that some kids in the neighborhood and I just knew that I could communicate it, even though maybe it was in the raw. You know, it was mm-hmm. maybe a rougher version. And so at the same time, I knew I wanted to play. I mean, I picked up drumsticks uh, and spent a year on the pad before I got the drum set and was patient enough to wait for that drum set. And when I got that, it was like unleashing, you know, the the wild animal because all I wanted to do was play. And I had people over at the house all the time. My parents were rather patient for that because we had a two-story house. We played on the second floor. So right. it, it <laughs> echoed through the neighborhood, you know. Um, but – you know, going through that playing side, too, I felt a responsibility to educate myself in terms of playing, too. So that that really provoked a uh, inner passion to, one, seek out a teacher, which I had a few before. But I found Freddie Gruber at a very young age. I was about 19. Mm-hmm. And that really set a significant change in my educational format of getting technical skills together as well as conceptual. Now, I hung with Freddie way longer than most people and went way deeper into materials that he didn't really do for many people that I ever saw. And I knew a lot, a great deal of people that studied with him. Right. And then I hung with him many years after. But 
in pursuit of other educational aspirations, I went to Cal State Northridge and I became a classical percussion major, which, you know, when I look back, I go, I have no right being in this department. I just, <laughs> I can play it technically, but it just didn't resonate, you know, playing mm-hmm. timpani or playing rimba. But I did that to school myself to get a little deeper immersed into music education. So it kind of bolstered my confidence as a player mm-hmm. to get out there and play. And then playing, well, here when I was playing, it was just like there was always guys around to play with. You know, it was like that was a different, a a little bit of a different time. We're going back to like, you know, 1980, 81, 82, 83, 84, 85 at that time. And then about 85, I kind of locked into just being very dedicated to the project with my brother. Right. With which we have, you know, 10 CDs over the last, whatever, 35 years. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, so, but. I'll tell you, just, you know, bringing, going back to the bridging of teaching and playing, all that playing experience brought me a clearer narrative of what the heck it was I was talking about technically. Because if you're just building it only from a technical side without speaking about the aspect of speaking music, you lose out on the greater good. Mm -hmm. And so all those, whether it was a recording experience or it was a gig experience or a rehearsal experience, or just practicing, you find things that are, wow, I could bring this into the teaching thing. And now I see what I was doing here with my presentation conceptually for my students. And I can bring that element in there to kind of talk them through into like bringing it to a more musical conversation. Right, right. So, so anyway, me, but, go, ahead. go ahead. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of finished. I was going to ask you. So out of that, I hope I sort of answered that trio of questions. 100%. Uh, I actually have a couple, uh, there was a couple of things that you said that I sort of put thumbtacks in and I wanted to go back to talk about. I, I remember myself as a, as a young, as a young player, I always ran into the situation where I never knew what to practice, right? It was like, there was so many options and, you know, I wasn't really good at anything. So I didn't know where to start. I didn't know how to start putting things, you know, how to start building things on top of each other. So I went to a teacher and I started working that out and I started really, really paying attention to what I was practicing. I would go, you know, when I was playing gigs, I would realize what I was struggling with and then I would make notes and I would come back and I would work on those particular things. So I started to hone that craft and I had the same sort of hurdles as a teacher and I never got over those hurdles. I never, I was never a a good teacher. I never really enjoyed teaching. I never really felt that I was, I was really giving great information to the students. I felt like I was sort of just like picking things out of the air and saying, okay, let's try to work on this. So do you think that on the teaching side, do you think that is just a matter of me not honing my craft as a teacher? Or do you think that some people are born teachers and some people aren't? Yeah, I think some people are born teachers. Absolutely. I think I had a penchant for I'll go back and just give you a quick story. When my little brother was like, you know, seven or eight, I wanted to throw baseball with him. And he was Mm -hmm. the most uncoordinated kid on, you know, in the neighborhood on in the in the city of Woodland Hills, I'll say, you know, (laughs) he'd throw the ball, try to throw it straight. It went up and he throw it, try to throw it straight. It would go right. He could never get a straight throw. So I remember just going, no, dude, just get that ball and follow through and trying to break it down for him. So I already had that mechanically inclined head. Mm-hmm. I already had the desire to kind of share something with somebody um, because I felt that, no, I can do it so you can do it. That was kind of my attitude. Right. Now, a couple other things that came into play that are kind of flukes in my teaching were, one, that I did have a technical head as a 
young budding skier. I was all about the technical aspect of that. So, you know, lining up with Freddie was a huge like plus for me. It really gave me a lot of food for thought. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that came together in terms of teaching was learning to teach to non-English speakers. So I lived over in Europe for five years. And then after Europe, I went and did, I don't know, I'll just say dozens, but that could be dozens of dozens of clinics and workshops and teaching over there for many years. And learning to communicate an idea or concept and finding, even when those guys speak uh, incorrectly, I would still speak that same incorrect sentence to them because I wasn't the grammar police. I was basically trying to communicate. Mm-hmm. And that communication process, like I said, just came out of, I just, like me, you know, and then the silly connectivity of being a technically inclined head and hooking up with a Freddie Gruber who gave me a, a, a nice template to embellish on. And, uh, you know, it sort of all came together. So, yeah, I honestly think there are people who are driven to teach mm-hmm. and there are people and I don't want to say this in a negative way, but it's true. There are people who are somewhat forced into teaching yep. because they want to do what they want to do. And they may not be happy about it uh, to go and teach, but it's a way to, you know, pad the income a little bit with the, you know, the gigs that they have. And uh, honestly, that to me is a disservice to the element of teaching. But, mm-hmm. you know, I don't I want agree. to be, again, I don't want to be the teacher police, but for right. me, it's a huge passion, and it has been really, honestly, since I started, you know, because I could see when I could ignite somebody's passion. You know, I, I, I've i talked to Glenn Sobel about this, you know, a few times. I bring it up in, in a little bit in an amusing way, but he doesn't know how much passion I put in to, you know, throw into him to build up that starting point. Now, as a guy, I got to say, Glenn already had that demeanor. He was already a serious young man at 13 years old. There was no getting around that, that he was going to be a drummer. I could see mm-hmm. that right from the get-go. Right. And uh, and rightly so. And look at him now. He's tearing it up. Mm-hmm. For sure. So. Yeah, I was always I was always interested in that. And I guess I guess one could say that, you know, I'm a I'm a teacher now and but doing it sort of through the podcast and serving as the conduit to let everyone get sort of get their information out there. Right. Uh, That's right. You are, you are serving the information network. Absolutely. Right. And that's always been important to me. And I think that's why I, I I always struggled with the idea that I was like, I I, want to, I want, I want to teach, but it's just, it didn't, it never clicked for me. And I got out because like you said, I felt like I was, it was a disservice and, and, uh, you know, I, I just, I had to get out. So, yeah, um, and I think it's hard for people to get out. I honor you for like saying like, I, it wasn't for me, man. I always say you got to know who you are mm-hmm. in this, you know, let's say our walk of life. You know, you got to right. really get to know who you are, what your passions are and go and roll with it and walk away from things when they are not you, when you find, oh, that's not resonating with me. I think a lot of people kind of think, oh, well, no, but I, I, I have to do that. Like there's some draw or feel like they have to do that and honestly it's like no you don't you have to find out what you really want to do and continue that path so if you bump Mm -hmm. into things that you're really not passionate about remove yourself and feel okay with that 
If you're looking for a top-of-the-line snare, then look no farther than the Mapex Black Panther Design Lab series. These are designed to combine sound concepts to create unique and personal instruments for the demanding player. They come in three unique variations, and they all have their own unique sound quality to them. You have the Heartbreaker, which is dark and rustic and throaty. You have the Cherry Bomb, which is vintage, controlled, and precise. And then you have the Equinox, which will give you that classic, bright, articulate sound. To learn more about the Mapex Black Panther Design Lab series, go to mapexdrums.com. If you haven't already, I recommend checking out the Promark Select Balance drumsticks. What they did was take standard sizes like the 5A and the 7A and then taper them differently so that you get different rebounds depending on what style of music you play. So if you play rock or country, you can use the forward balance for more power and speed. Or if you play jazz or funk or gospel, you can play a rear-weighted balance that gives you more finesse and agility. Plus with Promark, you know you're going to get a great product because they control every step of the entire process from the forest to the finished drumstick. So you're going to get quality and consistency all the time. Plus they're always paired by pitch and weight so there's no guesswork. Check them out by going to promark.com. One thing that we, we were talking about sort of earlier was the idea of this ubiquity of information. I mean, everywhere you look, there's information that you can find. And I get a lot of emails about this, about where people should start, you know, as a, and whether it's, you've been playing for five years or 25 years and you sit down at the kit and, you know, once you get to a certain point where you have facility, you under, like, you can sort of play the things that you're hearing in your head and it's like, okay, where do I go from here? Or even if you're starting out as a, as a, as a younger player, what, what do you suggest that, that it's hard to say, what do you suggest that people work on, but how do you suggest that people find out what they should be working on is it by going to it i mean i i recommend everybody goes with a teacher so that's my answer but and i'm sure it will be for you but say they don't you know maybe they don't have the means or they don't have the one or they don't have the desire to go with a teacher or something like that how do you start figuring out that stuff in your own playing of of where to start and how what to work on well, that's a tough thing. Again, you have to do, have to do a lot of self-exploration uh, about what you need, what you figure out, you know, like, what am I lacking? I mean, in terms of just general, like, building blocks for your technical approach, it's incumbent upon you to settle upon some kind of understanding of how your foot works with the bass drum pedal. It's really important to understand the dynamic of how the stick sits in your hand to maximize your fluidity of what you do. And you know, I'll do my quick Freddie Gruber. Freddie would say to me, Bruce, as this is approaching 2000, he'd say, Bruce, the age of information. <laughs> and I go, yeah, 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 Freddie, I got it. You know, and I, I didn't see it as clearly. But now that we're here and there is this plethora of stuff and these rabbit holes of YouTube drummers and drumming and things to watch. It's very, I think, challenging for people to stay focused, and I think they ping-pong along. Again, I think a teacher can be the stabilizing entity that keeps you kind of in one lane. I always mm -hmm. say, you know, I've got guys who like, oh, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this. I say, well, listen, if we're going to go into this lane and really operate and get some development from this specific concept that you want to operate in, then you have to saturate yourself in the stew of that for a while. You can't just ping pong and engage in it for about three weeks. You really have to sit in that for maybe three, six months. And mm -hmm. then again, I always say like, 
the whole concept is a lazy Susan. Once you spin it around and you're focused on one thing that's right in front of you, there's that thing that's opposite that, that eventually is going to come back around to you and you're going to go, hey, let me engage in this again. Let me see now, after all the growth and conceptual things that I've worked on and playing and practicing, let's see where that sits now. Mm-hmm. How attached to that specific thing am I? And what did I, maybe I can root back to what did I learn from that? Where did it bring me? You know, mm-hmm. and to me, it's always like I see constant threads in everything I do. There's nothing right. that I can't thread back to. Oh, yeah, it started here. Or, oh, yeah, this is that. Or this is how I built that. And the right. deeper I get into it, the more I see that. And mm-hmm. I'm very, I, I got to say, I just want to just speak, you know, from a place of gratitude. I'm very grateful and blessed to be teaching. I honor my passion for teaching. And I'm very lucky that I've been able to you know, get the attention of some high-profile guys like uh, David Garibaldi, who's currently my student for, you know, well over the last year and a half now. Mm-hmm. You know, he studied with years ago, but then he came back, and he's a regular guy. I just engaged with him yesterday. It's such a, a pleasure to work with such a, you know, iconic drummer who's also a great educator himself, who's a great thinker in terms of conceptualizing things. Mm-hmm. And, of course... Mm-hmm. We all owe a debt of gratitude for him, as I call him, the architect of funk. But also yeah. Tristan Bowden in my fold, Gabe Ford from Little Feet, Mark Shulman has been in and out. I mm-hmm. had Daniel Glass study with me steadily for from about 2007 to 10 or mm-hmm. 6 to 9, something like that, before he moved to New York. And again, great to operate with those kind of guys. But I deal with a whole plethora of guys all over the planet. But right. I just want to say how grateful I am to be able to do that. And uh, but I did do the work. I can't sit here and go like, oh, it just came, you know, willy nilly. Right. Right. There was a lot of work and a lot of threading back to certain steps and taking chances and doing things. Mm-hmm. So but 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 this sea of information can be very off putting. So, you yeah. know, you got it. You got to go in and find somebody who you trust that has some sense of direction that can help lead you to whatever that next step is to maybe either continue, excuse me, continue with that guy. Or jump off and go to the next guy, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. You know and I, th- it's hard to, and it's also hard to say, you know, if someone pulls up a video on YouTube and it has 3 million views and they say, well, this is what I should be learning. And you're like, this isn't really, this isn't going to get you where you want to go. And, yeah. it, you know, how do you say that it's it's not if this person has 3 million views on, you know, on YouTube and you say, well, is that, well, is that what it's all about? Is it, is it a, about YouTube a, views? Yeah, you know? here's another another element that you could maybe you know kind of go into it's like find you know some of the higher level working drummers in your community and just go watch them play too and see what they're doing and have questions for them maybe that's another way of getting educated maybe you find that that guy is also an educator but you want to find a guy that's you know working the clubs and actually playing that you know, because I, and I don't want to dismiss the cover thing on YouTube and stuff like that and the three million views and stuff like that, mm-hmm. because that guy, whoever got those three million views, did have that X factor connect with a myriad of people. Mm-hmm. So you have to honor that, too. But in terms of sheer information, that guy may not have the information that you really want. And mm-hmm. your best bet is to, you know, stay in the field of what you're doing. You know, get out there in the fields, because at the end of the day. You know, the guys that I'm sure you and I would agree that we admire are the guys like the, you know, the 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 Jim Keltners and the 
the you know uh, the David Garibaldi's, the John Robinsons, uh, going into the jazz vein, you know the Bill Stewart's, the Brian Blades, mm-hmm. those kind of guys, or the or the building block guys, you know the big Sid Catlets and the you know the Gene Krupa's, all those guys. I mean, they're, they're, right. all those guys did was play. That's what they did. So you yeah. know, if you want to go on that venture of playing, find your highest level guys and find a few of them. Don't stop at one. You mm-hmm. got to do interviews. You got to check in and go like, "Hey, is this guy really for me or not?" Yeah. Yep. You know that sea of information is a deep sea, brother, and you know that. You know, yeah. and you're an older guy, so you know. In my age category, it's like really like sometimes like I don't really go on YouTube very often. I mean, I do right. a little bit, but I don't really go on there and like do a whole search. Occasionally, somebody will send me something and ask me to view it and ask an opinion. You mm-hmm. know, and of course, stuff comes up on my feed because I'm so um, closely working with Drumio and stuff like that, or drum channel stuff, which I did way in the past. I did a lot of drum channel stuff. So, you know, stuff pops up that somebody will send me or ask me a question about, or, you know, just to take a look. But I don't really get into that rabbit hole very often. I did Mm -hmm. years ago, but not not now. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is... (laughs) (laughs) You know, the funny thing is when I go onto YouTube, which I, I don't do frequently, but when I do, all I do is go out and watch the old videos that I always used to watch. Anyway, so it's like I'll go watch like Steve Gadd play Take the A Train or I'll like watch some of his old like stuff clips or something right. like that or, right. you know, or like go watch. Um, I always go watch like uh, um, uh, what's the, uh, Jimmy Payne and like all his like all his uh oh, sunny sunny pain sunny pain yeah, i don't know why i said jimmy right. uh so i'll watch you know watch him doing all his like taking the stick and wrapping around his oh, neck yeah. and all this kind oh, of stuff yeah. and i'm like i've watched all those videos thousands of times and i just i just go back to what i go and watch those things again for like a little reminder <laughs> well here's the cool thing about you know the youtube thing is you do have an amazing archive of history of guys that you can actually see mm-hmm. so Young guy has no excuse to say, oh, I've never really seen who Philly Joe Jones is about or what he's about or I've never seen him as a player because there's YouTube videos or Alvin or any of those guys. I mean, you know, there's so much stuff to uh, honor the element of research, you Mm -hmm. know, and get an idea of where things came from and how they've gotten to this point in time to see the rootification of everything. Mm -hmm. So there is that advantage of the Internet. But I see, you know, more the. Uh, the show-based stuff and people making a career out of that. And again, I don't dismiss it. I honor that because when somebody can collect a lot of views, it's pretty impressive. And there are some great players who come via that medium, you know, whether it's Annika Niles or I don't know. I can't think off the top of my head. That's the first one that comes to my head that I I paid attention to a little bit. I'd see her videos on Facebook and, or somebody would say, Hey, have you seen this girl and check her out and stuff Mm -hmm. like that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I, I agree. There's, I and we don't need to go down this rabbit hole, but I do talk about there's a difference between sort of the drumming business and the music business, and and a lot of the stuff on YouTube is the drumming business, and it's and it's chops and flash and all that stuff. But and that's and that own, gets you the gig, right? Yeah, always. Oh yeah, yeah. I saw your feed on, on April Fools, and I saw oh, that on man, Instagram. And I, laughed, were... I at first I went, no, Nick, you can't be no, and then I realized, oh yeah, it's April first. <laughs> people Got were it. people were losing their minds. Yeah, people yeah. were like, it was it was pretty funny. So for people listening, I put this post up on April Fools, and I said, you know, 
uh, I said, who wants to hear the same groove for, for four minutes and, you know, po- it's pockets, not where it's at anymore. Chops and flash or what get you the gig or something like that. Well done. <laughs> but, but, uh, but yeah, I think there is a separation between the two. And, you know, for me, I think you and I feel the same way. Hey, whatever gets you into drumming, yeah. I'm, I'm cool with that. Uh, but Absolutely. I think I just want to make sure that people understand that there is a difference between making music and making drum videos jump yep. cover videos that's all absolutely absolutely um i want to switch gears a little bit and talk about or a lot i should say uh and talk about all the stuff we, i know that you do a lot of work with drumming and you have you've been you've worked on this big project that came out it was what two a year and a half ago a yeah the ago? original the original release date was january 2018 i filmed okay. everything in 2017 jared had approached me um not too long after I, I did initial, uh, my first Romeo was uh, August 2016. They released the long form video on YouTube around October of that year. Um, about maybe five months later, maybe March of 2017, Jared approached me and said, hey man, I want to do a project with you that would be technique based. He goes, I have a lot of confidence in your approach and your knowledge and I love the way you message everything. And so we put that together. I, I basically sent him my ideas and he would either thumbs up or thumbs down. I think everything was a thumbs up. He'd go, yes, you're going in the right direction. Let's continue this way. Mm-hmm. And then that was filmed in December of 2017. That was released in January and it was really a huge response. It was overwhelming. Actually, I was really, you know, kind of taken back that, that, that many people would sign up and that that many people knew who I was, you know, some right. people did, right. but, but anyway, so that, was uh, re-released about, uh, I guess we're on our second lesson. So the the um, enrollment period is, I guess, long ended now. I think it ended last week, if I'm not, not mistaken. And that's the first re-release. Now, it's in the middle of the year, so we didn't get the huge draw, but it still did very well. I was very mm-hmm. impressed with where we're at. And that was, again, a, a project that was near and dear to my heart because it, it embodied some of the more technical ideas and concepts that I would put forward. At 26 weeks, you know, you're not going to get the magic answer to everything. So that's right. the fact. I can't, I can't be, you know, glib here and go like, oh, yeah, yeah, you got everything in that 26 weeks. Right. But it was well packaged. I had a lot of people commenting from the first go around at what, you know, actual benefits they really received from that. And I was actually, again, taken back and honored, one, that Jared chose me because, you know, my first long form I went up there and just did what I did, and he wasn't really there. We met for dinner, but I think he, you know, he watches all the footage. He's on top of everything, right. and he saw. He said, "Man, this guy's got you know that messaging area, which I've worked really hard on my communication skills to get that mm-hmm. across to make it easy for people to, you know, do that." So that's one project. Uh, outside of that, I'm just you know basically teaching all all my time spent. Nick is truly just here in this little room. Mm-hmm. teaching either live guys which is i think the ratio is probably about 40 to 60 40 percent live 60 percent skype i have guys all over all over the planet and um i was very fortunate that um modern drummer just did a, an article more of a profile on me mm-hmm. as opposed to an interview that came out in the may issue of modern drummer which by all coincidence my great friend who i've known for 50 years mark shulman graces the cover that's awesome is cool and I, honestly in that article jake took the bull by the horns jake slichter is the drummer from semisonic he lives out in brooklyn he's now a writing professor for at the uh, sarah lawrence college he mm-hmm. still does semisonic stuff when they get together 
but he's been my student for about a year and a half. And at one point he looked at me and said, Come, nobody's ever written anything on you. I said, I got stuff, but it's in, you know, like in, you know, Australia or in Italy or, you know, other magazines, Germany. And he said, I got an idea. And then I said, what is it? And he said, I can't tell you. <laughs> and about six weeks later, he goes, remember I told you I had an idea I was working on? I said, yeah. I said, what is it? He goes, I got the go ahead. I'm going to do a, a, a story on you. And I thought it was going to be more interview based because he and I sat Skype and we talked for a good hour and a half on you know, many different facets of what I've done and my relationship with Freddie Gruber and all that stuff. And uh, lo and behold, I liked it better because it was an article. He interviewed David Garibaldi, Tristan Bowden, Mark Shulman, Jiro Yamaguchi, Paul um, Davis, who's a, one of my former students who's a Broadway drummer, uh, Gabe Ford, and Jared and Steve Smith. And they all made their comments. I didn't have That's to say awesome. squat. And it was, Ani, again, such an honor and a privilege to have those guys step up for me and so grateful that they did. And again, I didn't have to blib, blither or blather about anything. It was, right, it was right, awesome. That's, that's amazing. Well, congratulations. Well, I mean, well-deserved, of course. Thank you. You know, there's, I had a, we were, uh, I had Mark uh, Julian on this on a couple of weeks ago and he was saying, I forgot exactly what he was saying, but he was like, yeah, I'm really lucky that I, you know, I get to do this. And I said, you're not, it's not luck. You know, you, you worked hard to get here. You, the, the accolades and the things that you, the things that, you know, are said about you or written about you or, or, you know, the response to something that you put out on Drumeo, that it's not luck. It's all, it's all the hard work. It's all yeah. the hard work and putting yourself in places where maybe they're uncomfortable, uh, you know, really taking chances is, yep. is really the, the truth about it. Like, you know, I'll just give a quick story. I, I if I thought about this today and you said, Hey, Bruce, are you going to do that? You know, like, are you going to go to Europe? Hell no, not now. But when I was 32 or 33, I already had four records under my belt with my brother, David. We had, you know, a pretty good touring schedule through the year, but I wanted to live in Europe and I wanted to be there and play there. And I thought that would be a fertile ground for us as a group. Mm -hmm. And I looked at my brother on the way back from one of the last trips we made. We were like through the Arizona or New Mexico desert. It was probably on I-40. And I remember just looking at him at about 11 o'clock. Our road, our road manager slash roadie sound guy was asleep. Our bass player was asleep. And I looked at my brother and went, we got to go to Europe. And he went, yeah, oh, yeah, you know. And so it took us about five months to actualize everything. We had no place to really where we were going to go, but all this happenstance stuff started to, to occur. Mm -hmm. We met a guy who was Dutch. My background is my mother's really a Netherlands or from the Netherlands, but she was mm -hmm. born in Indonesia. It's a long story, but so my Dutch roots, I had a grandfather and my aunts and uncles were there. And so I had roots there. And this guy came out to LA and for two months before we were deciding to go, he said, come and live with us in Antwerp, Belgium. And I said, really? I never really thought of Antwerp. I was thinking either ne Holland or Germany because mm -hmm. I have relatives both. You know, I thought I would figure it out from that point. And honestly, I think my brother and I had about, I don't know, about seven grand between the two of us. Uh -huh. And I would laugh. I'd go, well, dude, we're either going to have like a good six month vacation and go back to L.A. or we'll end up staying. You know, right. it was like either one or the other. We ended up staying. Nice. And I was there for five years. And so that was a chance. Like if you would tell me today that really you did that, I'd go, gee, man, that was like a pretty ballsy 
extravaganza of going on this venture, mm-hmm. but it all things came together. Like that even solidified my teaching passion even more because I wound up as a like the um, head of this drum department in Vienna, Austria at a now defunct school called the American Institute of Music. It was patterned after MI, started by one of the early teachers there, this guy Les Wise. Oh, okay. And I taught there for a year. Um, and that, again, that emboldened my, oh, geez, I got concepts, I can communicate, okay, I got to get that together. It really kind of, you know, further kicked me in the ass. But I got also to do a lot of gigging with my brother. I gigged with some other artists. I played with a great uh, B3 player, Barbara Dennerline, mm-hmm. for over about a two and a half year period, did a lot of the festivals and a lot of club tours. And again, nothing would have happened if I didn't take that chance. Now, other yeah. things would have happened if I stayed here. Another path would have arisen. But my path was to go over there, which opened up meetings of getting to know Renee Kramers, if you know him. Great drummer and educator as Not well. Familiar. A crazy drummer that I know from Antwerp, Belgium, Bruno Mayes, who's like a wicked odd time guy, great chops. Mm-hmm. Um other guys lesser known well lesser known here um she had a can't think of the guy's name and he's a big session guy and a top-notch drummer in germany and i can't think of his name right now it eludes me but also i would never have met those guys and i would have never learned how to navigate through that landscape as well as i did because i went back afterwards doing like i said dozens and dozens of clinics over there mm-hmm. and workshops teaching whatever you want to call them you know yeah. there's t- couple of different names it's a master class no it's a clinic no it's a workshop <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know i'm here i'm teaching i don't know right <laughs> the message well, doesn't change it reminds you know it reminds me of the of the saying that everything you want lies on the other side of fear right and so we we make these excuses of why we can't do it or why it's not going to work or whatever it is and we let this this fear of failure or fear of the unknown hold us back when when See, we actually do it and then it turns out to be not as not as scary well, as we thought Honestly, I think you can put yourself anywhere. And as a human being, if you know the history of human beings, you will adapt. You will mm-hmm. figure out how to stand on your two feet. Right. It may not be what you expected it to be at first, you know, but it will eventually become that if you yeah. allow it. You know, again, you, you gotta you gotta take trust in your actions. Mm-hmm. You know, don't be, I don't want to say don't be a dope, but don't be dopey. You know, do a right. little research, but also yeah, of course. don't do too much research that it puts you off from that decision. Because mm-hmm. you can overanalyze stuff and you'll just sit in your shoes in fear of, like, yeah. I don't know, man, I better just stay here. It's, it's yeah. easier. I better do more research. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, paralysis by analysis. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right, man. That's right. So if people want to get in touch with you, if they want to study with you, whether it be in person uh, in Woodland Hills or they want to do it over Skype, just go to your website, BruceBecker.com. Yeah. BruceBecker.com. There's a little form to fill out and, um, uh, I usually get back to everybody. It takes me maybe a little time because actually I, I am you're not bulging at the seams, but I'm busy. But mm-hmm. I'm always looking to if I can bring somebody in the fold. Okay. You know, so I get to those guys and I might say, "Hey, man, I don't have a space this time, or what are your best days and times available?" Because of the fact that I'm you know so busy that schedules don't always line up with everybody and then there's also that group of people that don't really follow through with my response email that happens too you know maybe they got maybe they got trapped in their fear of like oh no this guy answered i really have to commit maybe to study with him yeah i don't but yes go to brucebecker.com and fill out the form on the wherever that is that my student jeff put on there it's prominently displayed to get in contact with me and um you know my skype practice 
is exactly like my live practice in that I, the only thing I can't do is elbow you in the side. Right. You right. know, but but what I do is I have a very deep program. And if you're looking to really change out, I don't want to dismiss, but, you know, some guys will go, yeah, 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 just hold the stick like this and do that. You just move like that. I'm way deeper than that. And it's mm -hmm. not as complicated as one would think. It's not like uh, rocket science. It's just drumming. But there are right. just sensible things to get in line with. And I have golden little nuggets that will put you on that path and change mm -hmm. your approach. For sure. Yeah. So I recommend anyone who's who's serious about uh, really changing your, your playing and really learning from someone who has been mastering this craft for a long time, studied from all the greats, taught a lot of the greats too. Uh, definitely check them out. Go to brucebecker.com. And Bruce, I want to, one, uh, thank you for, for taking the time again to come on the podcast. So I've had you on here twice now. So I appreciate both both times because I know you are a busy guy. Time is valuable. So I appreciate that. And I also appreciate all the information that you put out into the world and the positive energy around drumming and, and more so just the positive energy around life, but uh, specifically drumming because this is a drumming podcast. And you've put a lot of great information out there and you've you've made a lot of great players who have in turn created more great players so you're uh you're keeping the, that circle going so I, I appreciate that and i respect you for that so thank you thank you man I, I appreciate you having me on it was it was fun to get together i know we've talked about it over the last i don't know year or so how long you been in la now back uh november i moved november okay yeah so. And you were on the you were north as well, right? You were up in the uh, Bay Area. We were in the Bay Area. I was I lived in Livermore, where Dave Garibaldi lives. Oh, yeah, he was. Okay. He lived. He literally lived right down the street from me. So did you go hang with him ever? Uh, you know what? I when I moved, he was sort of in recovery. Um, oh, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. and then we were sort of like tagging back and forth. Um, I hung. You know, coincidentally, I hung out with him in New Jersey. I went to a show in New Jersey and hung out with him, but then. You know, not in Northern California. And he taught at the at Dub's Drum Shop, which is right down. Which yeah, was I just did. Not, I just did a clinic there. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's great. Dub, so, Dublin. Yeah, I just did Dublin, a clinic yeah. there. Yeah. Um, great. So, uh, but no, I didn't. I didn't get to hang with him when I was there, which was my fault. I, you know, I, you know, a day turns into a month, turns into six months. I got but, you. I know how that is. Yeah. He's such a he's such a lovely fellow, man. I like I say, I just I really enjoy hanging with him, and he's a really like a real solid flag carrier for me. I appreciate that so much. It's, it's, you, you can't, you know, get better guys on your side than that kind of a guy. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. is a, he is a, uh, he's a solid gent as they say for sure. Yes. And he's a badass yeah. drummer. So, yes, uh, yes, yes. <laughs> but Bruce, thank you again. I really do appreciate it. And, uh, hopefully I'll see you in person soon. Right on Nick. Take Bye, care, buddy. man. Keep doing what you're Thanks. doing, man. We love I you. will. I will. Thanks man. Appreciate Bye. it. That was the amazing Bruce Becker. If you are looking to study with him, go to brucebecker.com. I highly recommend it. The man is the real deal for sure. 100%. That's brucebecker.com. And for all the show notes to everything we talk about, you can go to drummersresource.com forward slash session 487. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.